0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash Today we lean into that steadying presence. That in a world that has fallen out of control, out of sorts, and in some cases scary, that it is you who steadies the pillars. So God, whether that's in the, in the landscape of the world right now in war, whether that's in the landscape of our personal lives, I thank you today that you steady our pillars and that ultimately you satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. So God, today, would you open your hands over our lives and steady the pillars of our world. In Jesus' name, and the church said, if you've been here uh, last week, you know that we started a series on James. Um, James is personally uh, my favorite book in all of the New Testament. Um, we did a similar book series on and this particular book. In my opinion, once again, is my favorite. But I want to give some historical context before we jump into James, Part Two today. And like I said, we'll be in James for the next probably till Advent. So, but you uh, today to understand James's backstory. Why? Because he grew up a sibling of Jesus, okay? So he grew up a sibling of Jesus and a skeptic of Jesus. It's interesting the proximity he had to Jesus' personhood and the disbelief he also possessed while being close to it. So we see, okay, he was a skeptic, We also see he was proximate, and really he only came to the faith after his brother was resurrected, which I'm not going to lie, I would be pretty open-minded if my sister or brother just died and they came back to life. I would be open-minded to whatever they had to say. Uh, but James is, James is like one of these guys where he's, he's up close, but he doubts, but then he doesn't doubt anymore because he's seen the power. And so then he kind of circles back, and in circling back, what we find out is he does a follower of the way of Jesus. If you know anything about the historical context of the term Christian, it doesn't show up until the church scatters all over and people at Antioch start calling the followers of the way of Jesus Christians there, so... In Jerusalem is where the very first church is established. Peter steps up. Everybody just gets saved and comes to know Jesus. And they all kind of gather in a community. And this church forms. But here's the thing. As it expands, Peter then hands off leadership of that church to our boy James. So James, brother of Jesus, right, witnesses the resurrection, is now leading the very first church on the face of the planet. And not only does he lead that very first church, what you actually come to find out is that he leads it and helps steward it through. I want to encourage you today. See, the reason we're studying James is because there's such a healthy perspective and worldview of what we're going to deal with in life. Why? James literally steps up, takes over the church, and it goes through an extreme season of explosive growth. But here's what's interesting. That's a very short time, and then it pivots full tilt into persecution and starvation. How many of you guys know? Like, talking to my church in the midst of famine in which they have no food to eat. Talking about faith in God with an empty belly. Right now, I'm talking to you and the closest thing we can summarize is the fact that RCAC is slightly broke and it's 84 degrees in here. But here's the the thing about it, right, is James leads through just gnarly times. It gets so bad in Jerusalem that he sends out a letter to the surrounding churches saying, taking up offerings in order to purchase food to feed the church in Jerusalem. This is God's holy city. Not only are they starving, but they're also persecuted. So much so that James is the very first apostle to be martyred. As he's planted, pursuing this this church and establishment and leading his people out in the painful toil and persecution of it as the other Jewish leaders are threatened by who he is. So the perspective, somebody who is proximate to Jesus somebody who was a skeptic of Jesus, somebody who believed for Jesus, somebody who saw incredible things for Jesus, somebody who was persecuted for Jesus, somebody who literally was starving for Jesus, somebody who lost their life for Jesus. I would venture to say James is a pretty good example of somebody to study. The other thing about James that's vitally important is this is the very first book ever written in the New Testament. Why? Because we know the year James died, and in backtracing, we find out that this book was written before there was any other books written. So this is the very first book of the New Testament that we study and that is, that is available to in more of a widespread sense. But here's the other interesting aspect to it, is he takes parallels, and once again, my favorite part of his book is the parallels he draws between King David. So he marries this hyper-practical Emphasis with imagery and wisdom and metaphor of what we see King David and King Solomon write in Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. So with that, today, James part two, the call and the promise of endurance and perseverance. The call and the promise of endurance and perseverance. And the text today will be James chapter one, two through verse 12. Let's read together. It says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I'm going to read that again, and then let's all just say a hallelujah. Okay? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, obviously, all of us in this room are just like, I don't want to say hallelujah to that. In fact, I'd like to tell James, that doesn't sound joyful. Isn't it interesting, the language, he really drove home something. We literally only, we steeped in James one one. did the whole sermon on one verse. You can go back, it's on, we, we don't do any online streaming, but you can listen to it on a podcast, Spotify, or Apple Music, just type in Fixate Phoenix. But this week, it's so funny, he starts with how he started last week, and then jumps into this, hey guys, isn't it hot, James? Let's keep reading, it says this. <laughs> knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and he will give it to him. Now these next few verses, once again, is kind of what I love. is It's like feels like we're shifting into another realm. But this is kind of he jumps into kind of like this Proverbs and Psalms, Ecclesiastes type language. You'll understand when I read it. It says this if you're familiar with those writings. It says, "But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. It will be given to him." Here's the shift, verse six. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, be in all of his ways. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you're also familiar with that there's a bunch of books. Okay, you've got the Gospels in the beginning, then it shifts into kind of the church, how it came to be in Acts, and then it goes all throughout these epistles in which that were written to specific church leaders or specific uh, locations that the church was gathering in. Now what's fascinating about it though is that typically there's something that comes up all the time in the New Testament and it's false teaching. False teaching really because of the fact that they lived in a different time than us. What do I mean by this is that the false teaching back then, essentially the apostles were centrally located, churches were scattered abroad. And so what would happen is, is people would profess belief in Jesus, but then contradict what Jesus had called them to live and do by their lifestyle and by their talk. So there was always dissension in the church, in their belief or in their purpose, and would try to change the narrative of what it meant to follow God. So what's happening is he's talking about double-minded in all their ways that they, they profess the resurrected Lord, but then they keep to Old Testament habits of keeping the law. They keep to new age kind of practicality that's going on in, that, in the churches that you, you can find in Colossia. And confessing belief, but that belief isn't steeped in, okay, I believe in the resurrection And because I believe in the resurrection, I follow the words Jesus said and live the way Jesus lived. See, this was the disconnect of double-mindedness is professing resurrection power, but not believing in what Jesus said and living as Jesus. And I want to encourage you as we start to get a little deeper in this, that this is just to profess resurrection power, but to believe what Jesus said. And to live as Jesus lives. Let's continue reading. Verse 9 But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind. We know that in Arizona and withers the grass and its flowers falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Also important to know, I think this is the clearest picture of how money is not inherently bad, it's when it leads to different pursuits that it becomes bad and you wither away. I love that this exact... Uh, language is used. Why? Because that's been a debate for a long time. Is money inherently bad? No, it's 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 not inherently bad. It's when it takes away from the pursuits of what God has designed for you and develops pursuits of its own that it becomes bad. The haymaker that just drives it all home. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the lord has promised to those who love him when he's been approved he will receive the crown of life to those that's been promised to those that love him blessed is the man who perseveres under trial the question then becomes how many of us will persevere under the trials needed to produce the blessing And I would even say this, is that if you go into trials with the expectation that if I persevere, I will get this exact blessing, typically the Lord will confront that, because the blessing isn't the carrot that is dangled in front of the horse as it runs. It is unseen, unknown, and doesn't appear until after the perseverance, but it's something you couldn't have fathomed. How we train to last how do you train to last? Because the question isn't that we're in this room and don't want to last. Meaning, if you're sick like wait, what? Man, I can't make it. To, I can't wait till I can't make it. Can't wait to really walk away from my faith when it gets hard. Can't wait to profess belief in Jesus but then be like, actually not anymore." Right? No. The goal of all of faith is to build a life in rhythmic disciplines of proximity to Jesus in which we last. And when we get up there one day, he looks at us and says, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. But how many of us have trained to last? Trained to last. You know, Alan, who's leading worship over here, my guy on the right, he just ran to have to scrape me off the pavement right? At about mile marker or four and a half or five or two. Yeah, grace. Dang, my wife said not even. Shoot. For myself. Okay, for herself. Yeah, but you're carrying a child. Anyway, um, but because here's the, here's my thing, right? Is marathon training is, I believe all of us in this room can run a hundred yards. If you can't, we, we might, there may be some other changes needed, but I believe most, if not all, of us in this room could run 100 yards. But can we run a marathon? No, we can't. Not without training, nutrition, a development plan of how to get there. What am I trying to say? I believe a lot of us have this view of God. A lot, but I'm not going at it from the, oh, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I'm not going at it from that. I'm saying, are you training for a marathon right now? in your walk with God? Are you training for the long haul? Are you training to make it? Are you training to last? Or are we saying we're training, but really we run 100 yards and then we stop? And I know a lot of people who they've ran the same 100 yards over and over and over because they haven't trained to make it past 100. Because they take so much time of inactivity, so much time of not be pressing in, so much time of not training to go farther that all they can go is 100 yards and they don't know the fullness of God because they will not train their life to last. What am I saying to you today? How's your training going? Because I believe for a lot of us, we want to persevere. We want to know that what that crown is. We want to be blessed. We want to see the fullness That has its perfect result. But we don't want to train to do it. And I want to say this to you today. If you're not willing to train to last, you just won't. And that's what's sad today is that I believe most of us come in with a pure and sincere heart of God. I want to follow you. I want to go deeper. I want to experience you. I want to last. But we will not prioritize what it takes. To first thing is this. The goal of maturity is to become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The pathway to maturity comes through testing and that produces endurance, then allowing this endurance to have a full effect. The terrain in which maturity is built through is facing trials and figuring out how to maintain and count it all joy. Maturity is embracing this cycle for its beauty and not its cost. I want to challenge you today, what's the beauty? You know, if we think about it, I know a lot of people who know how to endure by pressing into themselves. But I want to say this to you today. If your endurance is not pressing into Jesus deeper, getting closer to know his awareness and character for how to jump the hurdles that are in front of you, I want to say this, you can endure on your own, but it won't produce a joy. You know people who've been through it, why? Because they tell, oh man, that was so terrible, I got through it, but life is awful. I mean, I'm still going, but this is, the world is the worst thing. It's going to hell in a handbasket. I can't believe what's going on, and this, and there, and there. And it's like, dude, can we endure and have some joy? Because that's what it says in scripture, right? Count it all joy that your endurance has a chance to grow. What am I trying to challenge us on is this is that I know a lot of people that have built up an endurance that hasn't had a perfect result. Rather, it has had an imperfect result. Spiritually mature endurance is joyful in the pursuit of becoming a new creation by getting near to the creator. And what I want to say to you today is this is some of us we want to endure but we don't have the fruit of a proximate lifestyle that is trained by the one who endured it all that then is producing a likeness of joy that people look at and go, they're enduring different than me. That's what the world should say about the church and believers. They endure differently. They they do it in such... I don't know how they get through it and how they keep joy and how they keep going, but man, they do it different. It's not going to be, wow, he just got through it. It's, wow, he got through it and he stayed close. How many of us are getting through it, but we're not getting through it close to him? I pray that as you assess if you're going to make it and if you're going to last, it comes down to the fact that I'm staying close. Because typically how you know somebody's close is if they can maintain joy in the midst of difficulty. That's, you know, my brother, he, uh, my family was uh, really good at track and by my family, my mom and my brother because I hated running. I was a decent runner. I ran in middle school and I found I had the secret sauce if I could do just enough practice to place pretty well, but not enough to actually be extremely good. Where my brother would borderline, you'll understand in a second, borderline kill himself. My mom was a two-mile uh, record holder at her high school for 20 years. Well, my brother ran the 400, and as a freshman, uh, he, he ran and went to state all of his years. But here's the thing, he would run and win the 400, but I am going to tell you this, he would get done and throw up on the track. I kid you not. He would literally finish, cross the finish line, start to walk it off, and then just keel over and throw up because the level of exertion that he put out would literally cause him to vomit. Now, what's interesting about the 400 is, if you know anything about that race, is it's like an interesting mix of sprinting and endurance. Why? Because that particular race, you can't just sprint the whole thing because it's 400 meters, but you can't pace yourself like it's long-term because it's short. So it's like this weird mix of short and long of exertion but holding back but also needing to be fast but also needing to store some because it's a little bit longer. And what I'm saying today about that race and what it made me think of is this is I believe for some of us we don't really tolerance. And when you get close to God what happens is the edge of that pain gets taken off. And you've heard me talk last week I talked about how I learned more from my scars from my successes. Why? Because when you feel pain and you press in And God gets you to the other side. You develop a dependency on the original pain. I'm not saying he takes away everything that we feel. But what I am saying is when the scars heal and you were close to the Savior, you look at the Savior every time you get a cut now. And what's sad to me today is that a lot of us, right, we want proximity to God, but we don't want to give Him the deep cuts and the deep wounds. We don't want to see Him heal the scars. Why? Because we don't even want people to know that we're dealing with anything. So our endurance, right, our endurance and lasting comes from lasting, which is the things, the wounds, the hurts, the pains that we all feel. I say this to you today because what I want to challenge you in is, I think a lot of us want to endure, a lot of us want to last. How many of us want to, us, or want to press in in such a way that God heals the broken, heals the scars, heals the pain so that we can continue. I me mean today is that a lot of the times we want people to experience the fullness of God, but we don't want to give him the fullness of ourselves? The second thing is this. We must embrace God's tests as much as God's gifts and personal doubts as well as our personal beliefs in order to fully understand the person we've been created to become. Your walk with Jesus will directly address the whole of you as a person and will be longer than you think and cost more than you're willing to pay. When we seek first the kingdom and righteousness, it's not just that all things are added. Rather, we find out that the all things we sought at the start, they don't even come close to knowing him. I want to say this, it's important because this, this statement had a profound effect on me this week. And what I mean by this is, many of us have heard, seek first the kingdom and righteousness and all things are added. Many of us, if we assess our lives, what we start to look at is, we know that verse, but we're seeking the all things and a little bit of the kingdom and righteousness, but really the All things. And what's interesting about seeking the kingdom and righteousness is as you prioritize kingdom and righteousness, the all things shed from where they started. A lot of us, we might come to Jesus and say, okay, you know, I want to seek first the kingdom and righteousness and I want these all things, a a healthy marriage or family, a career, a pay scale, uh, a sense of fulfillment. But then these are these all things that we've connected to the kingdom and righteousness. And what God typically does is he kind of cuts those. And he says, listen, my all things are better than your all things. Do you trust that as you seek first the kingdom and righteousness, my all things will be better than your all things? What am I saying to you today? I hope that in your pursuit of perseverance, that rather you've chosen the kingdom and righteousness and that's it. I would even say to cancel out the all things. Why? Because the kingdom and righteousness have an ability to produce an all things in your life that doesn't have words. It doesn't have a definition. It doesn't have a career or or a, a brand or a following. It doesn't have a perception. It doesn't have an affirmation. It has so much more than that. It has a wholeness. Because this is a thing we don't discuss in the church. Most people... Whether they want to say it's Jesus or not, they're all searching for something that makes them feel whole. So whatever that is, whether that's community or a belief system or a a political narrative or a, a, a vice that nobody knows about or an addiction or something that gives them just a sense of wholeness, that's what they seek. Not realizing that it is the creator who placed your desire for wholeness inside of you. Your creator who wants to be the wholeness inside of you. Seeking first the kingdom and righteousness, trusting. And I want to say this to you today. Some of us, we want God's gifts with no tests. We want beliefs without wading through doubts. And for me specifically, I think there's going to be three things that define a resiliently or a long-lasting Christian. I just said one, (laughs) three services. Three things that I believe that are going to define Long-term people who are lasting in the next 10 years as it pertains to Christianity in America and in the world. And the first one is a resiliency. It doesn't shrink them. It doesn't diminish them. They're resilient. Those who have a presence about them by being in the presence of God. I'm so done being around believers that are so bitter, jaded, and cynical that they don't have the presence of God on them. They've got a presence you just want to get away from. And the last thing is they have disciplines, rhythmic disciplines that really live what they believe. And what I mean by that is, I believe a lot of us, we could talk about what we believe, but we can't point to the behavior that shows we believe it. And I challenge you today if you're somebody in this room right now who, man, you can have a behavior that actually shows what you believe and why you believe it, that's got to change. It's got to change. You know, my story in ministry is funny. I was, uh, me and my wife came from a really small town in Michigan, just kind of heard a word from the Lord to come here, move with two friends, and the rest is history. That was two, uh, yeah, two years ago. And um, you know what's interesting about my journey is I kind of came to the end of myself, um, I would say 2018-2019. At that time, I kind of hit a wall, and that wall wasn't me walking away from my faith. It wasn't me quitting my job in ministry, but it was me realizing, like, how I function, who I am, what I think, and what I believe is not good enough. It's not enough for me to sustain. It's not enough for me to make it. And where it started, I had been in ministry for years. I'd flipped a couple houses. At that time, I was flipping a house. I was working full-time in ministry, and I was finishing my degree in Bible college all at the same time. In that same time, there was tremendous political upheaval and social injustice upheaval as it pertained to just the events of 2018, 2019, and 2020. Part in in my life that I needed to develop and press into understanding what I believe and why I believe it. And I didn't know what God was doing in those seasons and in that time. I didn't know that he was inviting me into deeper dependency and also standing on my two feet. Meaning, I want to say this to you today, is that those three things I talked about, resiliency, disciplines, man, I'm forgetting the last (laughs) one. Those are things only you can go out and get. And they're the things that will keep you lasting. See, if you're depending on me to be the one who makes you last, you won't last long. And what I've realized is in my faith journey I'd always had the the different reels and the the different speakers I liked and the books that I would read and then the churches I would go to to get filled up, but I never had learned what it meant to really be filled by him, why I believe and how I believe it. And so I did a deep dive on every topic that I ever had a strong stance on to understand if my stance was right or wrong. It was an incredibly... um, rewarding time, but a difficult time. Because I realized there are some things in my heart and in my life that whether I just believed as a byproduct or received from somebody else's dogma, that I needed to change in order to last. And I want to say this to you today. I think a lot of us, what we don't realize is when you come to church and you say, all right, I believe in Jesus, you don't just get osmosified like... Touch the Bible to your head. It'll soak in everything. The development is now, now you sign up for development. Now you sign up for lifestyle. Now you sign up for disciplines. Now you sign up for the practice. Soaker, a steeper in the presence of God. Or should I just say a new creation? The last point today is this. God's homework is heart work. We endure for love, from love, and by love. The crown of life is not just for someone who endures. Rather, it comes from the love we have for the one we endured for. We don't endure for blessings. When, where, and how to give us the crown. Perseverance without his approval is completely useless. I want to say this to you today. You will not get validation from overcoming Unless you're growing closer to the one who helped you overcome. See, overcoming is rooted on a dependency of the one who overcame everything. Historically, physically encounter in that day and time. Not just the death part, but the torture part. And I want to say this for some of us in this room who maybe don't understand or or have questions of like, Oh, you know, does God feel what I feel or have a hundred? When you look at crucifixion, when you even study it, what you find is it's not just this thing that's written about in history, it's something that was absolutely barbaric. Enduring to last while facing that type of death, I would say we can learn something from that lifestyle. But more than that, I want to challenge you today in closing with the idea that the crown it's not what you think it is. See, some of us, we read that last, and it's like, okay, blessed is the one who perseveres because there's a, pr- a crown prepared. And once again, this goes back to what we talked about with righteousness and kingdom, is when you start to prioritize righteousness and kingdom, you d- is that you don't You don't seek the all things because the all things is that. All of a sudden, everything that you've believed, every stipulation and string you've attached to following Jesus starts to change as you realize that he has become your everything and he has become your all things. Or should I say, what we're doing is we're saying, I want to persevere and I want to last, but we don't realize that behind both of those doors is fulfillment. See, a persevering That is never taken out by the ebbs and flows of life. That looks at the scars and is grateful for what God has brought you through. That looks at the tests and says, oh, here's another opportunity for me to not just overcome, but learn something deeper about God's character. Man, there is so many layers to want to last. My final story is this. I, um, I, I, Cried in the first. I'm not, I, I was okay in the second, so I should be good in the third, just to bear with me. but um, My brother, uh, once again, was a track runner. The 400 specifically was his thing, and it's funny because my mom uh, was very passionate about track. She was the only parent I'd ever seen do this. My brother ran the 400, and if you know anything about the 400, if my mom would do, I kid you not, is she would hop the fence, this is no joke. Every single time my mom was at a track meet, which was all of them, she would leave the stands, go onto the track, onto the field that the track is around, and stand at the last hundred yards. Okay, and she would stand there because when my brother would run, she would watch all the way around. And he needed help in the beginning. He needed somebody there at the end. The last hundred meters are the most important hundred meters. Are you going to quit or keep going? Are you going to dig deep or are you going to die down? Are you going to keep pushing? Are you going to catch what's in front of you? Are you going to keep going? And the best part is my mom didn't just stand at that 100 meters and shout for him. When my brother hit that last 100, my mom would run alongside him. As fast as she could, just cheer. You can do it. You can keep going. You got this. Mom would, I'd be in the stands. i My brother's running the last 100 and my mom was running right next to him. Something about that picture in my 30s always sticks with me. And as I was thinking of this service, I wanted to challenge you to think of that picture. Because no matter where you are on the journey, if you feel like you're at the end, typically is when God shows up to keep you going forward. Then when the steps are heavy, keep going. You don't know I'm passed up. No, don't worry, I'm with you. See, some of us, that picture is profound, and it was profound to me because I believe for a lot of us, we have questions of if we can sustain, questions of if we can last, questions of if God is with us. And I want to say this, when it matters most, you'll feel him. When the odds are against you, you'll feel him. When you don't know, he's going to draw close because he wants you to make it. He wants you to last. And in perseverance, he wants you to know that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Stand to your feet. In our closing moments today, as the band comes up, we're just gonna recite the Lord's prayer together. It's been a practice we've been doing the last few weeks, and I just really feel like we're going to lean into it. Because anytime the script Jesus says, "Pray like this," I want to make sure I'm doing that. So, with that, today, if we could just have a moment of silence, and then we're going to—I'll uh, start us. We'll recite it as we worship one final time. hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, so we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom.